0: Oh man, everyone's so happy here. It's a cool place to work. And when push came to shove and hard decisions had to be made, that culture exploded. Hi,
1: I'm Joel Pilger, and you are listening to episode 73 of the Rev Thinking Podcast. Today, my guest is David Schwartz at Hush, and our topic is the most interesting project.
0: Welcome to Rev Thinking, the podcast for creative entrepreneurs who know the best way to deal with the future is to create it. This is the conversation between creative leaders and consultants, discussing what it really takes to run a thriving creative business.
1: Hello, all you RevThinkers out there, all you fabulous creative entrepreneurs, you know who you are. Happy Wednesday. It is another release of the RevThinking podcast. Today, I'm pleased to introduce Mr. David Schwarz at Hush, coming to us from, well, not quite Brooklyn, not quite Williamsburg, somewhere in between, as you'll find out in the episode. Now, to set you up for today's episode, I have this, I guess, interesting question that I would love to ask you. And that is, in running your business, did you notice, let's say you run a motion design studio, a production company, maybe a design firm, a sound company. But did you notice that when you started your company, it was all about attracting clients? (laughs) There was this huge focus on we got to get out there and meet people and connect and market ourselves, sell ourselves. And in the first years of your business, as you move through the seasons of the creative firm, from the painful and into the push season, the punch season, that that's really your focus. It's all about business development and growth. And I don't need to explain why that is. That's natural and it's actually a good thing. But then as you move into the later seasons, maybe you move into the perform season or beyond you start recognizing i've got a big need that's different than clients it's resources and those resources might be talent they might be experts it's people that you're going to bring onto your team and then your your journey might even continue beyond that because once you get into the power season that shift continues where finding, vetting, growing, maturing that talent inside your company becomes potentially more important than even the clients. Now, if that sounds strange to you, I'm going to let David from Hush explain how that is and why that is. Now, David is the principal owner, co-founder of Hush uh, based in New York. And a little bit about Hush, in a nutshell, they call themselves concept-driven experience design, which means we design beautiful human experiences that connect directly with our audiences. If you go to their website at heyhush.com, you'll see that they produce some incredibly beautiful experience designs for some really big brands, folks like Adidas and American Express, Facebook, Google, Nike, Uber, and so forth. Now, a little about David, he describes himself as a creative leader and founding partner of Hush, a design agency, but David spent his career designing brand experiences that integrate content and interactivity, architecture, technology. He graduated from Art Center College of Design, and he worked for some notable creative studios and interactive agencies and design firms in LA and New York. But since founding Hush, he's developed numerous projects across the sports fields, luxury, beauty technology and entertainment categories. So, I think you're going to enjoy this conversation because David is one of those generous souls that was really willing to share a lot about his story and what it really takes, what it what's going on behind the scenes of running a successful creative agency and studio. And I think you're going to really appreciate his candor and some of his insights of what's really made a difference in his journey. It's not what you might expect. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and David. I'm bummed I can't be in Brooklyn today because (laughs) I wanted to do this podcast in person. Um, You're in Dumbo, right?
0: we were in dumbo oh. but we moved about 3 quarters of a mile north to a little area called the navy yard i don't know how familiar with brooklyn you are well i know but, williamsburg
1: uh, but i don't yeah okay. where's the navy yard so
0: so split the difference between brooklyn uh, sorry between dumbo and williamsburg and you're in the navy yard which has been huh. around for uh, almost a hundred years. They've been building ships here since World War One. My grandfather actually worked here uh, on a sh- uh, like as a plumber, mechanic in shipbuilding, and um, so for a long time they've re- you know rejuvenated the area since the Second World War to more modernized manufacturing and and stuff like that. Um, one of the largest uh, film production facilities called Steiner Studios is here. They Mm -hmm. shoot all the shows that you've watched all the time on Netflix and everything. Um, But recently about, you know, five or six years ago, the city started to put in a lot of funding into the area to make it kind of like the new, I should say technology and innovator sort of area. Um, I wouldn't call it digital like Dumbo. I would call it more like, innovation invention technology manufacturing you know like people doing crazy building crazy things with crazy technology and so there's some labs here and there's some really crazy 3d printing and robotics studios and things like that and so we were invited to be part of it which is super cool yeah that and, is cool. Um, it's just a new a new vibe
1: well it's cool that you have family history there i've come to know williamsburg pretty well over the past few years having a few mm-hmm. clients and studios, production companies. Um, And it's, yeah, it's a killer little hotbed, but let's do this first. I would love to ask you um, seven really, well, six really easy questions. So this is like a good way for me to say, feel free to give one word answers if you feel like it, but this is sort of the quick crash course on who is David.
0: A lot of pressure on these six or seven, but okay, I'm ready.
1: Well, I, I, I would start a timer, but that might just, that might be a little ridiculous.
0: <laughs> um, I'm going to use the beauty of post-production editing to take a long pause in between your question and my answer.
1: <laughs> exactly. And everyone will be like, wow, this is really awkward. <laughs> okay. So first off, just tell us your, what's what's your name and what's the title you you you
0: hold at Hush? My name is David Schwarz. I'm creative partner at Hush.
1: And what year did you start Hush?
0: 2006. So this
1: is now year almost year 14
0: 13 uh, I would say 13 we would kind of okay. 13 You know there's a there's a fine line between starting a business incorporating it versus um, you know right. putting your head down and doing it and
1: being an con- ongoing concern Sometimes it yes. feels like 20 or 30 years even though it's only been 13
0: Yeah it's um, like dog dog years
1: What do you, uh, when people say, what does Hush do? What's your sort of quick tweet length answer to that question?
0: Uh, Tweet length for insiders would be we're an experienced design agency. For 98% of the world, no one knows what that means. Or they have a perception of what it means that is not the perception I have.
1: (laughs) Right. Well, you just just nailed it. What I was thinking was, sure, that means different things uh, to different people. How about this? Number four, name a recent favorite project. What was the name of the project or the or the client?
0: We recently did a project for Instagram, mm. which is... You've heard of Instagram? <laughs> um, I think so. Yeah, My daughter introduced, introduced
1: me to them we, years ago.
0: So they recently opened a new headquarters in San Francisco or a, a key workspace. And we were asked to do the kind of lobby experience for what it would be for everyone, workers, employees, partners, guests, recruits to arrive at Instagram and what does that feel like and what's Instagram saying and how do they manifest their their vision and their brand in that space.
1: And is this the Light Forest project that I see on the website? Exactly. Yeah. The visuals are so tasty, I have to say. They're so... Like they just sort of draw me in, but we'll get to that later. All right. So let's, I want to ask you a quick question about business. Um, Is there something you've maybe done in the past year that's like an accomplishment in your business that you're most proud of or something that jumps out at you?
0: Yes. So as as a business, I feel like this might not have been in the past year specifically, but I think I've felt the effects of it in the past year more than ever before is this isn't going to be a one-word answer. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Uh, I mean, I, I think this is the year where we really saw the investment we've been putting into a leadership team here aligned against the, the big 3, 5, 10-year vision of the company. And when you have those two things pointed in the same direction, you know, you have a clear goal, clear vision that's open sourced and articulated, and you have the people who are truly invested in that vision, not just kind of saying it. Mm. The when those two things align, you feel this like acceleration that happens, and I think we're we're feeling that right now, which is which is a kind of privileged spot to be. Man. in.
1: well, there's a lot we could unpack there. So that's that's a that was still kind of a tweet length answer. So I have to give you credit for that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um. Now, so again, another business question here. And this one, we can, we can let dovetail into where the conversation wants to go from here. When you started Hush, what was the dream? Like, why did you one day wake up and say, I'm going to start my own creative agency?
0: Uh, so I started with my partner, Eric Karasik. Um, and he and I were working together at a company called Brand New School which is a kind of production, commercial design, production mm-hmm. company. Um, and we were both at a time in our lives where we knew we had sort of entrepreneurial itch going on. We knew we th- we wanted to challenge ourselves with that, you know, in the future. And we were privileged enough to get some free reign while there.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I That'd don't know...
0: At BNS. And um, even with some strong leadership at that company, who we learned a lot from, for some reason, whether it was the production flow or the particular projects, Eric and I were sort of left to do stuff on our own a little bit. Mm -hmm. And not on our own in terms of autonomously doing everything, more just no one was checking in every second. We had a lot of runway. And we had some really smart people around us. And I think that's just an, a lucky opportunity where we had to sort of like practice reasonably large scale work with reasonably large scale pressures um, on us as creative and technical leadership um, without it being our own money. And that's sort of, you know, just being that, we just got lucky. And so we were able to see that we were good under pressure and we worked well together. <laughs> and then, uh, of course, we looked at the leadership of that company, Jonathan Notaro, um, very talented guy, but he was only, you know, probably four or five years older than us at the time. Mm. So when you look at, like, where you want to go and what you want to invest time in, you realize, you know, this isn't like, we're not in the game where it's like, oh, someone will retire and we'll take over. That, like, just doesn't happen. Right. So when you,
1: when you talk about having a lot of free reign on those projects. Did it extend beyond just creative? Did it get into like you had control over production? Did you even have ownership of the account in a sense that you were even making business decisions related to those projects? Because you said the word entrepreneurial and I thought, oh, well, that's interesting.
0: Um, No, I would not go that far. There was still executive production and key account folks and our producer. I mean, there was a whole legion of people. And by the way, I was 26 or whatever, 25, mm-hmm. six. So looking back, you know, I knew there was lots of information being shared amongst the ecosystem that I wasn't seeing. So there was right. management going on that, that made our world more safe, for sure. So I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I, I wouldn't go that right. far. And, and that naivety actually is part of why we started the company. I mean, we were, we were stupid stupid enough, (laughs) stupid enough
1: to do it. Well, isn't there always a naivete in anybody who starts their own business the first time? Because as much as you might hear the stories from people that say, oh, it's so hard. It's so complicated. You have no idea until you're living it. You just kind of go, yeah, yeah, I know. I know it's going to be hard. And then you get into it and you realize, wait, this is, this is hard. This is hard. Now I realize what they were saying.
0: Yeah, I mean, a thousand percent. And um, I'd say the only thing that's a parallel is parenting.
1: Mm, yes, that is a good parallel. How yeah. many? Do you have uh, multiple kids or just one? Or? I,
0: have, I have two boys, nine and six. So, okay. you know, everyone tells you what it's going to be like and how your life's going to change. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then, you know, it does.
1: It does. It changes in ways that you, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of telling the, the fish that's always lived his life in water. Oh no, someday you're going to crawl on land and you're not (laughs) going to be in this thing called water. And he goes, yeah, 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 whatever. And it's just, you don't really have a conception of what, what that means. So here's another, I'm curious if you have a thought on this. Um, Often uh, Tim Thompson, my partner and I use these three words that when somebody starts a business in this industry, it's typically for either fame or fortune or freedom, would you say one of those resonates most when you think back to when you started?
0: Oh absolutely freedom
1: yeah, I'm not surprised <laughs> I mean just a little, the little bit you and I have gotten to know each other uh, that doesn't surprise me but what what did freedom mean to you, and do you feel like you were able to achieve it early or did it take time?
0: well, that's a fascinating and complex question um <laughs> It feels free to, you know, sign some incorporation papers and show up to a studio every day where there's no one telling you what to do. And you're literally putting one foot in front of the other and sending your little hook out into the world to try to be noticed. It, it feels like you have autonomy and therefore freedom. But I think, as you know, as you build the business, you have responsibilities and. Um, and must that start to grow around that. And then as you hire people, you have, you know, mouths to feed, so to speak. And uh, as you have more clients with more scope, you know, you have to deliver and do right by what you said and your vision. And so the freedom is there from a sense that, you know, you can walk in and out when you want to and make this business decisions, but, you know, you're beholden to a lot of other uh, requirements. So I think it's a little bit of elusive freedom, you mm-hmm. know? Some days, uh, to be very blunt, you know, there's a piece of me that says, wow, I wonder what it would be like to work at like a large corporation where, you know, I, I could work really hard and do good work. So I, I just, I don't like not doing good work. So I would work really hard for someone, but I would literally, you know, drop the mic at the end of the day and I wouldn't <laughs> take anything home with me. And, and I don't even know what that's like. You know, I have no idea. It's like a foreign idea.
1: Well, if you'll indulge me for a second, I'll tell you what it's like. <laughs> because it because <laughs> I lived this life where I ran my own, you know, production studio agency for 20 years and it was acquired and I went to work as part of an earnout for the buyer. Oh man. Right on a 3-year deal. Do tell. And yeah, well what I can tell you is within a few weeks I was actually stunned by what you called the mic drop. Even though I was a C suite like a you know sea level guy in this company every day at 5 or 6 o'clock i would sort of push back from the desk and go home and i even though i had a lot of responsibilities in the team and all this i was like that's it like that's the job that's <laughs> oh it I, I just have to yeah i just have to focus do what i do here and then i drop the mic and and I go home i was kind of like wow and the amount of brain space i got back was was remarkable because i'd been in it for 20 years much like you you're you're just in you know in that water yes as the, about the, race, the,
0: the race the yeah. race yeah i hope to god that you put that brain space to good use and didn't just you know like you know i could understand how to, mentally to switch gears is very hard very
1: well i i don't know that i could say I put it to good use because i was miserable that was the dark side oh wow Because I was a terrible employee and I realized this is why I've always been an entrepreneur my whole life. Same thing, freedom. Mm -hmm. So for you, I would say you could very much live that version, but the lack of freedom is so stifling that nine months into my three-year earnout, I was like, I I can't do this anymore. And that's when uh, my partner, Tim, said, don't go start another production company, you know, come uh, be a consultant with me and we'll help the whole industry. And I thought that's a really cool story. Um, But yeah, I think you're, you're wise to recognize that it is completely different, that the amount of responsibilities you have, it's hard to, I think it's hard for you to express anyone to express in the span of a few sentences, what it really means to, to have all these responsibilities and what it really means to run
0: a business. Yeah, I think you, um, part of me thinks that if you really care about what you do, and I don't just mean the work, I mean the environment, the culture, the people, the clients, the relationships, the legacy, the the intent, the impact, like all those things, it's really hard to put down. And so mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's ever... I don't. I'm not striving for that binary kind of turn the lights off, go home, don't think about anything mode. I'm just, you know, I think that's reality. Um,
1: that's interesting. And do you think that's come over the years, or was that maybe there in those early days when you started?
0: The idea that that's um, this is part of it, or or
1: yeah, well that 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 it's not just like it's not a, just a binary. I'm going to make a lot of money and I'm going to go home at six o'clock and that's my definition of success that there's this larger vision that's more holistic about hey i do want to build a team i want to have a great culture i want to impact my clients and on some level make a difference in the world was that there in the in the early days
0: absolutely i mean when you said the three fame fortune freedom i didn't even it wasn't i wasn't even trying to mix it was so clear i mean it's interesting because fame isn't interesting to me and we've basically designed the whole studio to be like you know as flat as you can be right where like Mm -hmm. um it's not about a person right you look at industries around the world you look at creative industries they're often led by figureheads um the auteur auteur, and that was never the model you know because if it Mm -hmm. was we would have named the company different things right uh Mm -hmm. in our own image or in our own ego Um, So that was from the day one of, of, of that, we, that wasn't interesting to Eric, right? You know, it's nice to be recognized as a company, right? Like that's more just like, wow, this company does good work, but that's not famous. That's not a a name. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. There's a reputation that you're building, but it's the name of the company, the team, the reputation, but it's not your individual name and reputation.
0: Exactly. I mean, I want to be. Regarded as a good, successful person, <laughs> you know, a good mm-hmm. boss, a good peer, a good partner, like you know, all that stuff, but not at the expense of the of the rest of the company and the people here and their access to or visibility into uh, the process or the world of, of design.
1: I'm curious if you do you know who Will Travis is? He used to be one of the Partners, this is back in the day
0: at, 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 Attic. at Attic. I just emailed with yeah. him two days ago because he runs <laughs> uh, he runs um, that sort of like awesome offsite project. Yeah, like a retreat. Yeah, retreat. Um, exactly.
1: Shoot, the name will come to me in a second. But I remember Will was at an event that we were hosting the uh, mini conference, and he said a phrase that I thought, "Ah, that kind of captures it." And you just reminded me when you were talking about your goals that he talked about my role in Attic was I felt like I was building the stage on which others could perform. And, Mm. and I thought, Oh, i really resonate with that myself because I think that was very much what drove me. And my version of freedom was, I want to build something that's self-sustaining and has a great team and everything, but I never really, I wasn't actually comfortable when the spotlight would turn to me. Mm -hmm. Like I had to, I had to grow into that role. Mm -hmm. Is your journey similar because I'm, what I'm hearing you say is, yeah, you've been building a stage all these years, and you've got a team that's up there in the spotlight and performing. It's never really been about about you in the spotlight.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean anyone who knows me and knows us and who's listening to this ultimately knows that I'm an only child and there is some you know, I have a role to play at the company and the role is forward facing, you know, and it's for a reason. I think Will's quote, I've come to over time and understanding my purpose. I don't describe it as a stage, but I describe it as a creative space for people to be successful. So mm-hmm. space in the broadest term, right? Not a room, but the running room, the education, the support, the uh, teaching the the tools uh, to to make people better and more creative, and then to be able to deliver better work. Right. So, so I love that idea where you know we're we're it's a garden. You know, we're finding the really most talented mm. people. Or we're we're giving them the space and the nutrients to to become what they possibly could be. Um, that's how I see it. That doesn't mean I'm not often the one presenting in the room or, or leading a discussion. But, but I've been in part of a lot of that stuff in my prior life where, you know, it's a very, uh, it's a kind of ego driven performance and occasionally we partner with other large companies, some of whom have people's names on the door who are why, you know, very regarded highly. And, Mm -hmm. you know, you watch their version of performance or leadership and it is, it's they're they're extremely talented it's not that's not what i'm saying but it's an ego kind of driven thing whereas i'm i'm sort of like the dinner party person who may introduce the dinner party but you know tries to get person a to talk to person b or person c to share this awesome thing that they did and it starts this dialogue and that's how we like to run our you know our our collaborations with clients it feels like that and and that's cool
1: that's a that's a that's a cool word picture there um i love the word garden that you said a second ago but that dinner party is also uh, really cool because it does it's this picture of hey we're all here and we're connecting and we're collaborating and we're all sharing in some sort of larger purpose of producing great work or some sort of result in the world. Uh, in the world uh by the way elevation barn is well elevation barn that's new, it new, new venture i know <laughs> i just r- remembered um well, I, I remember when you and I were chatting and, and getting acquainted here a couple of months ago. You said, "I think you said this phrase." So, correct me if I am misquoting you. But you said, "You know, as as I am going down through the years and Hush is evolving. Yes, I am still active and involved in the projects, but my business has almost become the most interesting project." Is it? That, was that, were those the words that you
0: used? That sounds. If not exact, close enough. I do. I I, I <laughs> confirm. I said that.
1: <laughs> close enough for uh, yes. for government yeah. government work, as they say. Yeah. But I thought that was I thought that was a really interesting uh, way of describing a shift that I'm I'm hearing that you've been through because when you started Hush, you were all in on the projects, right? I'm guessing you were you were twenty four seven, all hands on deck, project 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 project, making clients happy, and then you you now look at your role and how it's evolved and there's a new project emerging called hush the business. I would just love to hear you explain, put that in your own
0: words. Well, it's, it's spot on. Right. And, um, it's not like a binary shift where one day you wake up you're like, Oh, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I should focus on this business, not the project. It's, it's a gradient and, and it also slides back and forth, right. Between, um, any need on a given day or support, but also then stepping back and trying to keep your head above water and thinking about the big picture. But I I, I definitely realized that projects are great, but my endorphin rush happens more when I start to see the fruits of our labor around the business itself and what, um, what putting the right people together against the right mission really starts to do. And, and honestly, we we learned that the hard way. Uh, we had consultants early in the business tell us, hey, you need to think about this, you need to think about this, you need to think about education programs, you need to think about uh, retention, you need to think about the systems that your company is going to run on because, yeah, you can do it now with these three projects, but when you have 30, you know, what are you going to do? And, and you know, I go back to these notes sometimes that were coming on eight, eight years ago, seven, eight years ago, and I'm just kicking myself for not following them earlier. So it took much like a parent and a child, you know, it's like you need to repeat it over and over and over again. And, um, finally, you know, we had, we, we struggled at a certain point where we had some misalignment in, in vision and people and timing of projects and things. And it, you know, as any business does, but that was our opportunity and it showed the weakness and it really made my partner and I double down on, on the investment Mm. in the business.
1: Yeah. Gosh. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm chuckling at the story of, uh, consultants Mm -hmm. because I, I I could share maybe some similar stories, but, Mm -hmm. um, another time, number, another place. You're also reminding me of the funny quote, from Mark Twain that's famous about when he was 14, my father was the dumbest person in the world. But by the time I was 21, I was astonished how much he had learned in seven
0: years.
1: (laughs) That, that that idea of, 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 wow, as you mature and grow, you look back at the advice that you were given that you, maybe you just didn't know how to receive it or what to do with it or, or you hadn't learned the lesson the hard way. So you weren't ready to learn the lesson to do how to do it the right way. Uh, So I, I appreciate you sharing that because I think um, it sounds like there's definitely been a role of mentors, outside experts, other people in your journey, um, whether or not you took the advice in the time it was given.
0: Yeah. Well, let me add a, a meta layer to your comment. Our first consultant was my father. Oh, oh, that's funny. So, so, so he had run a business that he took over from his okay. father. Uh, not in our field, the manufacturing business in New York. And mm. so he built a business, a successful business. Um, again, not related to our field at all. But at the end of the day, there's some things about businesses that are shared no matter what you do. And so, For sure. I mean, a lot of... Uh, so there's always things to learn from anyone who's running a business at almost any scale. But while the younger me realized... My father had a lot of experience and a lot of information to give. The younger me also probably couldn't hear it as cleanly as I wanted to be able to. And um, a- and some of the seeds he planted uh, took a while to grow and took some hard knock learning to force our hand to, to grow them, if you will. And so, you know, that's just natural, but it's, um, it's an added, added twist.
1: Yeah, I mean I can I can I can almost imagine the conversation because there would have been moments when your dad's giving you advice that is true to him but you also say, "Yeah, but dad, but we're in a service-based business yep. and you're in an inventory and manufacturing-based business and it doesn't translate." And and that's that's true in some cases, but I'm sure he was also giving you advice like about banking or, you know, s- systems or human resources or other things that were completely applicable, but you likewise weren't ready to hear it.
0: Uh, absolutely. There's easily trans- things which we should have just simply done, you know, tighter finances, tighter models, tighter forecasting, tighter relationship with banks. You know, these are basic things that we didn't have at our disposal yet, but he knew even though things were great, there'd be a time when you know, the pressure was on and we had to make big decisions and we needed these relationships to, to move, to play the game. But, but you know, the, the cool thing was he was giving us... Inf- the cool thing was two things. One, my partner was able to hear my father's advice more cleanly because he didn't have any mm. relationship, right? So mm-hmm. that actually helped, right? We could have a more objective dialogue than father to son, son to father. But also my dad was super into like human people, human resources, people getting the best out of people, understanding people, personality types, dynamics, you know, those kind of things, all these soft skills that are truly transferable to anything. And I've become ironically fascinated by the same thing, just like how you get really smart people to work together because just being smart isn't enough. It's being smart Mm -hmm. and paired properly, you know, clear enough goals, you know, just it's, it's not just the players. It's like how you combine them in the right sequence, in the right way on the right opportunities and, And I think, you know, that's just the cool part.
1: Those soft skills are so hard to learn too, because it's unfortunately, I think the whole area where you really can't take a class, you can't really read a book. I mean, it's, yes, the principles are out there, but there's so much living, you have to live it. And I think, I guess I would also add this, maybe I'm curious if this is your experience. It's like, if you don't have the heart for it deep down inside, you can't fake it like you have to actually care about somebody. You can't just look like you care about somebody <laughs> in order to foster them and, and mentor them and, and guide them. And even when you're building teams, like you really do have to have everyone's best interest at heart. And, and maybe that sounds like, well, of course that's true. But I think a lot of people think, well, if I just go through these motions, I'll get the same outcome or result. And I find, no, if your motivation is about money, it's not it's just not gonna translate.
0: Yeah, or, or anything else other than people's yeah. value and opportunity, you know. I a hundred percent agree. And I've been in situations where people are kind of phoning it in and they're saying the things, but you feel that mm-hmm. they're not truly there for you. Right. they their 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 goal is not truly about your success. It's just kind of like they're saying the things that you would hear on a TV show about running a business, you know. Um But, you know, you listen to the stuff, right? All the leadership training and the Simon Sinek's and the, you know, know, leaders eat last and, you know, these ideas. And I, and I, and frankly, Mm -hmm. you know, to be very honest, it's, you know, it's, it's not always easy, right? As a business owner, you're put in very strange situations that no one's prepared you for and you've never done before. And um, complex dynamics of personality and personal lives versus work lives and things like that. And, you know, there's no script. Um, and so you kind of have to rely on what you just what you truly feel and how you want to run a company and how you want to be seen and what you feel is right and wrong. And I think as I get a little older and as I, you know, raise kids soon to be teenagers, which I, you know, oh my God, you know, you realize that here it here comes. It comes. You, you realize that being a good parent, being a good business leader, I don't think is about just making everyone happy, you know? And uh, I think some of the most uh, significant advancements my kids have made in their childhood, you know, is when you've really shown them like where the lines are and what's okay and what's not and and teach and taught them to. To understand boundaries and 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 how to work within those boundaries and be successful with those boundaries, but be very clear about what's not okay too. And I, I see a parallel here in that it's not everyone can do whatever they want all the time because that's what great creative environments are. It's about helping people be successful within a framework. And, you know, you gotta define that framework. Wow. I
1: yeah, I'm I can relate on many levels. Because I can think about the years when I didn't know that and then the years when I learned, okay, I it's not just about, hey, as long as everyone's happy, because that doesn't necessarily produce the larger goal, mm-hmm. right? Being happy today can be a short-term win, but over the long term, maybe the business fails. Mm-hmm. Maybe we're not solving our clients' deeper problems. Mm-hmm. So does that mean you've have – you, have you had to give yourself permission – To, shall we say, deliver tough love more, (laughs) more frequently these days in terms of how you nurture your team, because that's what we do with our kids. Mm -hmm. We show them love, but at times it's, it's strong and it does have boundaries. It has lines. It has definition around it.
0: I mean, I, I think it'd be an, a very interesting poll to take of our staff and see what the answer to that is. But I think, I guess as I get older, right, I have more confidence in what I know is right and wrong. And I, and as an anecdote, you know, we've messed this up so bad before. Um, we mistook, and I think this is a pretty rampant in our collective creative industry. I, I know you've seen it. You probably witnessed it in many forms. But you mistake culture for just people having fun. You mistake mm. um, beer on tap for a good culture. You mistake you know a, a fun club that where everyone hangs out and listens to music and maybe stays late after work and um, you know hangs out on the weekends and shares funny gifts on Slack as culture. And I think that <laughs> is um, that is perhaps a output of culture but it is not culture and we mistook that a lot where we were like oh man everyone's so happy here it's a cool place to work people think we're cool and it's just like a fun environment and look at the dogs and the music and the everyone dresses cool and 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 when it came, when push came to shove and hard decisions had to be made that culture exploded because it wasn't culture but now we have i think a very interesting fun place to be, but we have a framework of thinking and sort of rules and requirements of behavior and a sort of paradigm at which we look at the world and we can evaluate our clients' behavior and our own team's Mm. behavior. And we can say, are they aligned around the ways we want to be in this world, the things we want to bring to this world and how we want to do that? And if they're not, we generally don't work together that well and not for very long. And people who are unaligned aligned don't really work here for very long and hopefully don't even get hired. So it's like almost having the rules written on the wall made it so much easier for everyone to know if they belong or don't belong. And that's kind of kind of it. And now we kind of know that everyone here in words and behaviors is aligned.
1: And how did you know that – like when did you find that distinction between – the trappings of culture and actually having a true, genuine culture. Was it just when you went through a downturn, you had a, you lost a big client, like there was some sort of trial by fire. And then you suddenly realized Maybe the ping pong table and the espresso machine isn't what it's about.
0: <laughs> well, both downturn and lost a client and other things.
1: Oh, okay. So you just you know add,
0: add it all. There's probably more stuff in there too. But you know, a weak foundation isn't shown until there's pressure on it, right? So, um, mm. so I think that's a pretty easy way of saying when you feel the pressure psychologically, emotionally, financially, culturally, if it's weak it cracks and we cracked. And what I realized is, and I don't know who said this, but it's a great thing, you know, is, um, is defined by the worst behavior leadership will tolerate. And so,
1: wow. Can you repeat that? That's
0: really, culture is defined by the worst behavior a company's leadership will tolerate. And so I realized that things were happening at this company that I wasn't comfortable with in the sense that the treatment of people, the language, the, I don't know, you know, it's hard to outline. There's just stuff happening that, you know, my younger self gave permission to because I didn't know any better. And I wasn't mature enough to say, actually, these decisions and these behaviors are undermining what I want this company to be. And so it was a little bit in retrospect, I was able to see that. But it was a pretty acute moment where we're like, I don't know how to do this. I know there's a framework Mm -hmm. and I know it's a process, but we need to do it uh, to figure it out.
1: Would you say that as a category, the shortcomings in culture showed up in in things like work ethic or no or uh, no everyone worked hard more like ethics or okay (laughs) more like
0: ethics not not like we were doing anything creepy or terrible it was just more like the way we treated clients the way we treated each other the things that we were okay Mm. with the gender imbalance you, you know the way we would speak to each other in a meeting the way we wrestled creative problems, the way we appeared to but perhaps didn't invite participation from all, the way we valued each other's opinion, senior or junior, behave, you know, just general behaviors. And, and you start to realize, wow, like like that's coming through. People work here for a certain reason and it's not the reason necessarily I want them to work here, you know.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm, I can – so I can almost picture what you're describing. Maybe here's an example. Like I think of – I'm looking at your client list. I'm seeing these great names like Adidas and American Express, Facebook, Google, et cetera. Those are really smart people. Mm-hmm. And what I have noticed in – well, I work with creative firms, so I'll just limit it mm-hmm. to that. But sometimes there's a culture that behind closed doors, we're going to rant about our clients. Because yes, on some level, they don't get it. They don't understand if they would just trust us, mm-hmm. if they would just give us more money, wh- whatever the thing might be. But then there's a line that you cross when you realize this is being disrespectful. And we we would never say this to this person's face. And what I advise owners is if you tolerate that, just like using your your famous quote, if you tolerate that, your clients will pick up on it. You, they won't hear you say the words, but trust me, they will feel it. They will sense it. Somehow, it will come out and it'll burn you. So I, you know, to me, to me, the the antidote is the golden rule. Rule, right? How do you how do you want to be treated? Make sure you treat people that way. Yeah. But do you think your clients picked up on some of that? culture or lack of culture that was there. Uh, absolutely
0: we went through a period but we were doing so so we always worked really hard that was never the problem there was no room for slackers you know so it was hard work mm. was never the thing it was it was the yeah it was the spirit of that work right so so we would never tolerate someone saying something to a client you know like that, like there were very clear things that were, Oh my God, like you would never do that. It's not even polite. Right. Yeah, of course. Um, but I think what you're saying is it's in the subtleties of how you show up, right? If, if a client reschedules a meeting and the, the owners of the company just disparage that client to their team an hour before, what's everyone on the team going to say, Oh, they don't, uh, these people like blah, blah, blah. Right. But if instead yep. you're leaning in and you're being collaborative and, communicative, you're going to say, Hey, you know, these are people with lives and things and other, other responsibilities, stuff happens. Let's roll with it. Let's adjust. Right. So it's, it's kind of like a stance and we changed our stance a lot. So, so I think it's pretty easy to carve out like the hardcore things that, you know, are in an employee handbook. It's not about, you know, that, <laughs> that's pretty binary, but it's, it's, um, it's, um, mm-hmm. It's the, man, it's the behavior and the manner in which you do the work, the manner in which you communicate, the, manage, uh, the way you manage feedback. It's the way you uh, are maybe uh, open to possibility of ideas and open to the fact that they're in a business, they're in a corporation, they have pressures on them, we have pressures on us, we have to work it all out. So yeah, I mean, like our values now on the wall, you know, metaphorically, and sometimes literally are communicative, candid, curious, those are the C's, proactive and respectful. They're not values that are, you know, unique to Hush, but they are the five that we think we actually can live by every day. And what's interesting is the minute we showed them to clients or prospective clients, and then demonstrated that we actually live them we don't just like write them on a wall the clients that align with those values exploded in numbers and the clients that didn't fell off mm. it was Very it, it was as if we were some weird fish or animal that now showed our true colors to the world and other fish and animals that like those colors were attracted. And the ones that actually don't like those colors just moved away. And it was really liberating to just own it, you know, and um, and to, to deal with the repercussions or the benefits.
1: Well, I know it's it, maybe I'm being cliche here because um, you mentioned cynic mm-hmm. earlier, Simon yeah. Cynic. <laughs> but there's one quote of his that I, I can't resist mentioning because I am a big fan of this. Cause he talks about uh, in his famous start with why the goal in business is not to do business with everybody who needs what you have. It's to do business with people who believe what you believe. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're, what you're preaching is in effect, somehow it doesn't even have to be necessarily explicit or binary or, or you shared the employee handbook with the clients. Like once those values are clear and you have buy-in from the team and there's some sort of accountability and we're all in this together and and all that, that the clients will hear it, they will pick up on it. And I've always thought, what's better than doing business with people who believe what you believe? It it sucks when you're stuck in that situation of working with somebody that is just counter to your way of seeing the world, your point of view, your opinions, your beliefs, whatever. It's just not worth it. I don't care how big the check is.
0: Uh, I mean, absolutely. And it it grates on everything. But as a small business, Uh, as I'm sure you know, you know, you're put in complex situations where you have to try to evaluate an entire corporation based on a value set. And those corporations are made of thousands of people, all of whom have their own kind of values, which may or may not represented in the business values, hopefully so. And then you're talking about who your direct contacts are and the pressures that they're under. And so you have this, like, I find we wrestle with the the outward impression of our clients' values mm-hmm. versus their um, their day-to-day behaviors. And where I think we've found some light is we carve away companies that don't do things that are good for the world, right? So that's easy. There's certain companies we just won't work with because we're not interested in helping them, right? But after that, mm-hmm. and, and we're not so altruistic that we won't work with interesting companies, but the, the, we carve those off, but then we literally look at from the first interactions we have with a new client, like the first email, the first conversation, the first sit down. And we just, we listen and we watch a lot and then we compare notes internally afterwards. And we start to see, are they behaving in ways that are going to help us be creative or hurt? and um we often have a conversation around did they do what they said they would do <laughs> and it little things you know did they follow up when they said they would follow up did they uh, ask for the thing they wanted to ask for did they provide us with the materials they said they would give us did they right and if and if it's like wow everything they're saying they're doing we kind of check a box which is like we can trust these people and so that's like a start of how we start to look past the brand, right. Or past the shell of what they say they are into the people themselves working on a project. And if they're going to live the way we hope they will live.
1: So you're man, you're totally like, you're making my, my hair stand up on my, my arm here because what you just described, I think is, it sounds like it's your journey. I would dare say to maybe even go more meta with it. Your journey from being a service provider back in the day, again, I'm I'm, I'm guessing here, to becoming an expert, becoming a guide, a leader, means at some point you are, in a way, you're vetting the client as much as the client is vetting you. Because you know, if we're not a good fit, we cannot deliver on our promise to design and build and implement some amazing Experience that they've hired us to do. So why mess around? Let's let's get right to it, and let's let's make sure that they are holding up their end of the bargain. That they are who they say they are. Would you? Is that is my theory correct? Is that, has that been part of the journey that you've been on?
0: A hundred percent. And I, I don't know if I've you know analyzed it in that way, uh, maybe from a distance. But I, I think that's. You know, that's part of just getting more mature and having more confidence. And and I wouldn't want any listener to, because I hate when people go on a stage or a panel or a podcast for that matter. And um, with the opportunity to talk to more people than them, themselves, everyone, you know, makes everything sound perfect and peachy and successful and everyone struggles. These are not easy decisions to make we're, we're finding some really good success, but that doesn't mean we're sitting around saying, Oh, we're not going to work with them. We're not going to work with them. We're going to just, you know, we, it's a business. We have to decide at any given moment, if we want to scale or grow, if we want to simmer down and be more efficient. And, and so we're making these decisions, but I think we are very conscious and rigorous with talking about our potential for success Based on our goals as a company, what motivates us, what excites us, and what lets us produce the best work, and a client's organizational structure, their goals, their mission, and what lets them get the best work out of us, and if we're not honest about that dynamic, you know, uh, it's going to be, it's just going to be harder. I always say this to my team: it's hard enough to do the work. This is hard work. It's strategic and emotional and creative and technical and complex and political and it's hard it's hard i mean we're privileged to really do this kind of work you know we're not in a mine, but but the work is intellectually and physically hard so if we have more headwind because the client isn't organized properly or doesn't have the same belief system as us then we're making it exponentially harder and so that's just terrible
1: well, I'm <laughs> that's the voice of experience speaking, right? And it's nice. I think it's nice as your career evolves, the confidence that you gain because I'm sure you had the time when you you took the job just because, right? You needed the money or why would we ever say no? We worked so hard to get this thing, right? And then you start recognizing, gosh, there are other factors in play. Cuz money and cash flow and revenue, yes, is important. Mm-hmm but so is impact. And so is sustainability and and culture, right? We've been hitting on culture a lot. And once you start recognizing that not having that some sort of rigorous thought or intention behind that is not, it doesn't really serve you. And I think it's also fair to say it doesn't serve the client.
0: No, ultimately, and it also makes you a fraud in the eyes of your employees. Yes. So when you, so when we stand up quarterly to do our quarterly report or we do our year end meeting where we set the vision for the year ahead and we take people's feedback and we look at, you know, all the stuff you do, it would be very hard for me to stand up and help reaffirm people's, you know, goals and mission and vision and show them what the North Star is for the near and far future. And then on January 2nd, Come back and do work that undermines that vision. It just—it just, it just well you said. can't do it. It's not sustainable. People will see that, and they will see that you're saying one thing and doing another. So, it actually is quite liberating to open source your thinking and your beliefs, and 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 you have to stand by it, and uh, you can't kind of run and hide.
1: So, this leadership team that you talked about in the, at the at the top of uh, now almost. An hour, I could talk about this stuff all day if you could. I can tell. tell, but this this uh, this leadership team that you began building that you were you were excited to share is aligned around these long term goals. That's to me that's quite an impressive uh, transition and shift to go through because there's so much letting go, even getting to the place where you're delegating whole chunks of the business areas of the business. How long ago did that process start? Cause it's, it has to be a multi multi-year process on some level.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, so I think there's a difference between knowing you need a strong leadership team that you can delegate a lot to and finding the people to fill those roles. And then, finding the people that actually work together well to be a strong leader. So mm. there's like almost a three acts, right? and yeah, It's um, like a
1: three variable equation.
0: Yeah, like we didn't have a leadership team before. Then we knew we needed certain people in certain roles and we started to build that. And then we realized that maybe some of those people were not the right people. Although, again, all very talented, right? But maybe not in the way that we needed them to be, but very talented Uh, unto themselves and then because of pressure cultural misalignment whatever those people sort of changed over and some uh, folks came from within and rose to be leaders at the company and some people we brought in from the outside world and were lucky enough to 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 uh to align and now we have great people who i think would all admit are learning in their role, as are Eric and I, but excited to learn the skills to do the role in a more even mature and grand fashion. And so I think we have this really nice moment where no one's taking this for granted. No one's been some big SVP and blah, 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 McCann, blah, 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 Mm -hmm. blah and thinks they know how to do it. Everyone is doing it with the knowledge and skills they have within the cultural framework and vision that we have. And we're providing the fertilizer for it, right? Giving people the tools, sending them off to boot camps, going to negotiation classes, you know, learning how to be how to be smarter, how to understand people better, how to, you know, be more financially accountable, going to industry stuff. Like, you know, we're, we're finally investing in the folks that we really feel are, are strong, you know, they're equipped. Well, I
1: heard you say something about learning and not yet, like there's no arriving. The destination is the journey, that whole thought. But what I, what I'm hearing you say is that this most interesting project as you called it uh, is like a lifelong school for you that there's not a point where you, where anyone really arrives. And, And I guess, You know, have you always sensed that? Are you okay with that thought of? I'm just always going to be learning, and I'm always going to be comfortable with being uncomfortable, and this is just part of my
0: role to play. Uh, Absolutely. I mean, I think, uh, frankly, I I, we tell this to clients, right? Like the the value we have as an agency is we get to learn about different businesses and industries with every new project. Hmm. Okay, so nice. you know, it's hard.
1: So you're just upfront about
0: that. Yeah, I mean, it's hard about be. It's hard to be a service provider, a third party in an ecosystem, but that has tremendous value for the fish swimming in the in the bowl. You know, we are outsiders looking in that will never know what they know, but we can learn and see it through a new light and provide value that way. And if we aren't willing to kind of go to school, so to speak, around specific subject matter, then why are we doing this? We've learned about you know, sustainable buildings, big data technology platforms, uh, how Nike running shoes are kind of constructed, best architects in the world design, right? Like I could, you know, I don't need to go back to school again. I need to just stay here because I learn so much about stuff every day. So that paradigm extends into the way we think about like our own roles here. I don't know, it's cliche, but you have to be ready to just be not knowing or go to places where you're kind of always learning or else, frankly, it, it's going to get stale. So there's no expert. I'm
1: thinking of uh, the line from Shawshank Redemption, get busy living or get busy dying. There's <laughs> not really much in it of an in-between yeah, that's, right? That's as, as the entrepreneur. <laughs> well, I, I'm curious to hear, this is maybe, I'm thinking about a transition that I think happens in all creative firms, where when you start your business, you're so focused on get the clients get the projects and that's natural and that's good and that's healthy because you grow and you learn and you evolve and then you start entering an era where now I need resources in the form of talent i need expertise i need leaders uh, on my team in order to solve these deeper problems that i can't just i can't just do it all myself and so now you you're almost stuck between a rock and a hard place and on the one side i'm i'm constantly pursuing new clients and new business and trying to figure out what the problems are. And then I also am over on the other side pursuing the resources, the talent, the experts, the leaders. And and I and I advise owners, be aware. You will be, you will feel like you are courting two completely different worlds and placating them and trying to keep everybody happy on both the client side and the employee side. The reason I mentioned that is I'm curious if you're now entering the season where for you individually, your role is now shifted where your focus on the clients is is actually notably secondary to that team because I'm hearing you putting a lot more energy and time into investing and nurturing and attracting the leadership team that's going to make your business successful going forward.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think there's, I would say, I feel you've hit on a, 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 uh, interesting point, which is, uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like two arms are being stretched in different directions and I am like the plastic man in between. Right. It's like, I stretch, I'm just stretch arm, it's like, <laughs> you've nailed basically my two functions, right? And and what I think about every mm-hmm. day. And it's so frustrating because I still spend a lot of time try engaging in first conversations with potential clients and sort of seeing if there's a fit and just being a kind of mouthpiece. But I I think that the real value is really understanding who we're going to Uh, bring in that's going to positively affect the culture and our output uh, in a way that's going to be sort of like the next, the next major leap, you know? And because we've seen those hires fundamentally change the company and we've seen poor hires fundamentally change the company in the (laughs) wrong direction. And you start to add the hours of effort that went into that person or people and the hours to ex, you know, extricate yourself from the situation, and it's disastrous. So, um, but I don't know. I, I well,
1: yeah. let, let me let me maybe I'm going to phrase it in a really uh, concise question form. If I said, David, we meaning Hush, we either need to go get a great new client, or we need to go get a great new leader for our team, which is. Which is easier? Which is going to have a greater impact on the long-term success of this company?
0: Here's the dramatic pause. (laughs) There it is. Clearly, the impact question comes from people. So finding the right people to be part of this company and raise the bar has such an exponential force on everyone else around them. It's like a great... Uh, you know, a bit, great player on the team raises everyone else's game because you try to keep up. And that has enduring impact. Whereas a client could bring you an amazing project or an amazing relationship that may pay off for years and years, but ultimately clients come and go. And that's just part of being a service provider in a service industry. And, Although talent also comes and goes, we have to think of ourselves as springboards, not uh, you know, not the home. I've just seen more holistic value come from really good people, you know.
1: Well, I love the word you said back there about the it's a multiplier, it's an accelerator because yes, a client, like you said, can bring you a big check, a great opportunity. It can be a long-term relationship, but are they going to multiply? And accelerate your business. I mean, that's really rare, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you do the due diligence and nurture, you know, vet, nurture, find that talent, train it, grow them up. um, That's my experience too. That um, I can remember bringing my first time I hired a really superstar creative director, and the whole team wanted to show up on a whole new level every day because. Mitch was now here. (laughs) And it was like something I could never get that out of my team. Right. Myself. And I'm, I'm guessing you recognize this as well. There's certain things that you can draw out of someone. There's certain things, areas and abilities that you can nurture in somebody, but it takes a team. It takes a village to, to really create that, that environment where that acceleration or multiplication uh, can happen. So I can see why you're excited and, and proud of this, this leadership team that you've built.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think a, a way to synthesize what you said and what I said is that a client can, can accelerate growth in a certain direction. It's, a great client can provide motion and momentum in a direction, but a great hire can provide an almost like 360 impact. It may provide, gro- he or she may provide growth for sure. May do better work, bigger work, take on more for sure. But they, if they're right for the culture, they have an interesting history, they have more to contribute, they want to teach, they want to mentor, they want to find uh, new opportunities, new help, new resources. All of a sudden you have this like 360 impact that's far wider literally than what a client provides only. So I think that's a good delineation, perhaps.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I like that. That's a that's a good operating definition. So let me ask this question. Maybe this is sort of a good way to start concluding this conversation. Thinking about this accomplishment of the leadership team and where Hush is right now what what are you What are you most excited about being a business owner and running Hush? What What gets you fired up about the the future that you're looking out ahead of you in the next year or two?
0: So I think in the last couple of years, we've kind of seen the value of our work bigger than just the thing that we are delivering, like just the project. Do you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. we started to realize, wow, like we have a lot of knowledge over this decade plus. um, And we've helped a lot of companies work through these challenges and come out the other side pretty successful and you know realized a vision and then you go in and you see wow this other team is having a similar challenge and they don't know their way out and so you sort of feel like you have you're, you're more helpful than just delivering a thing and that kind of liberated uh, my thinking in terms of where we exist in the world and why we exist in the world and so I see so much more opportunity for what we do, thinking that we started back in 2006 and we were designing an installation, you know, the size of a table and we used a lot of thoughts around design and how to approach that. And now we're designing things the size of uh, urban neighborhoods and the experience that go through them and how they're connected and how hundreds of thousands of people might touch the things every day. And so for me, I'm starting to realize like the core ideas we think about and the core methods and the core themes we, 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 we dig into are, is really scalable. And so I think the, the exciting part for me is scalability. I don't mean just like being a company of a larger headcount. I mean, taking a way of seeing the world and seeing what design means in that world and seeing how far we can stretch its applicability. Right, seeing how big and complex we can grow it, and still have it hold up and deliver value. And we sat in front of our team in, you know, December 2018, and made some goals. And the goals were a lot about bringing our expertise to a much larger platform, a larger canvas, a larger environment. um, Just having more and more control and thought into these spaces. And so we're actually already doing that, and it's pretty early in the year. And it feels good that we can start to kind of exponentially grow what we do.
1: I love the, the optimistic subtext behind all of that because what I heard you say was when you sat down with your team and you did this goal setting, there was this thought of let's go create the future. Let's not simply react to it or let's not just do what we've always done that we know we have a deeper expertise. Body of knowledge, process, obviously relationships and network and so forth that we think we can, we can go do something that we're even more excited about in terms of making an impact in on our clients, uh, in people's lives. I don't want to say consumers because that's even maybe being mm-hmm. being trite, but I love that that underlying optimism there because I think, gosh, if I was on your team, how cool is it to say, hey, what if we went in this direction? and everyone says yeah let's let's do it that sounds really exciting and we all get on board with this and then you're starting to see it materialize
0: yeah it's 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 um it's gratifying it's like when you do something, or you go to a restaurant, or you see a movie, or you read a book, or you listen to a podcast, or you watch a video, or you go visit some place you know, in the forest or something, and all you want to do is tell everyone about it and get them there so they can experience what you've experienced, that's kind of what I feel. I'm like, we're doing this great thing. Like, Let's just get more people to see it and show that we can have more space, more canvas, more opportunity. And so I'm excited just to like, uh, you know, I don't know what the word is, flex our muscles, you know, and just like let people in on what we're trying to accomplish because I think it's very relevant today. Um, I think it's, I think it just, there's a lot of potential.
1: Well, I hear, I hear an unleashing, an unshackling of something perhaps that uh, you, you sort of know, like, I know this is, this is important. I know this is going to impact others. Like, this is meaningful to me and I know it's going to be meaningful to other people and that's that's just a cool notion to go out into the world and say how do we invite more people into this story into these experiences
0: yeah and you know what along the way Uh, we've had millions of people tell us, oh, that there's no market for that. Oh, it's like, you know, you should do what they're doing. You should, you know, have you checked out XYZ Company? Yeah, of course. They're they're really leaning into this and you're losing market share on that. And why don't you, you know, why aren't you uh, doing VR? And you're like, I don't know. I'm not interested in that. And, you know, you like everything attacks you, you know, everything tries to take you off your game. And truthfully, you don't know what's going to be successful, but you have to kind of stick to your gut and say, this is valuable. And so I think now there's more of an industry built around what we do. And there's more language to define what we do. And there's more uh, understanding of where we fit within project ecosystems. So we're not just like, you know, they uh, people understand the why behind what we do and mm. why it's needed. And, That's like a landscape, an industry thing changing, which is creating more opportunity for us. And fortunately, I think, and obviously I'm biased, but I think we're one of the better firms in this world. And I think we have a lot to offer. Well, I love that you fought against that
1: conventional wisdom of, oh, this is where the market is going. This is where the needs are. You should go do that. Um, If you don't mind, I'm going to share this quote. That's one of my all-time favorites. And I'm sure... Listeners have heard this, me say this one before, but in, in contrast to that conventional wisdom, this quote by Howard Thurman, maybe you've heard it where he says, don't ask yourself what the world needs, ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that because yeah. what the world needs is people who have come alive. And that's kind of what I heard a second ago when you were talking about, ah, oh, this is so exciting. I want people to experience this. I want, there, there should be more scale to it is that I heard the creative entrepreneur saying, this is what makes me come alive. And I'm, if I do this, I know other people are going to be, you know, play a part in it and participate in it. So good for you. Uh, yeah. Because I think you are proving a lot of people wrong. Like when I look at your space, I'm like, yeah, that's a that's a tricky space to be in. It's not, not <laughs> yeah. nearly as clearly defined as, uh, you know, production companies or a design agency or digital, what have you. But the work is obviously... Beautiful. To me, it's very inspiring just to even look at the portfolio and say, God, how do I how do I get to go to that space and hang out there? Like I want to be part of that too. So you you've made me a believer.
0: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Well, I appreciate you signing up for this conversation. To me, it's always refreshing to have a conversation where it's it's not just a conversation about the work, it's that actual intersection of creativity and commerce. So I am really grateful for you being so candid. Um, and willing to share some of your behind the scenes on what makes you tick and what's made Hush successful as well as some of the challenges you've had to overcome.
0: Well, thank you for having me on. You're an incredible interviewer. Oh my. Um, and I've, I've written, I've written down every quote you've said, so I can go do my own research, but, uh, I hope I was able to provide a little bit of uh point of view that's valuable. No,
1: you sure did. No, I, I, I found you very eloquent and, and, uh just willing to be vulnerable which of course is what what it's really all about is not just telling all the pretty stories and all the pretty pictures but getting into the realities of what it takes to run a creative business so i think you and anyone listening i'm sure is thinking as well so I appreciate you thanks again david
0: all right i appreciate it i look forward to talking and uh and meeting up at some point
1: yeah no i'm, I'm absolutely i'm looking forward to visiting the the digs there in what's the area of brooklyn again Navy Yard. Navy Yard. I'm yeah. excited. I know I'll be there soon, so I'll, I'll look forward to spending time with you. All right. Dinner's on me. <laughs> it's the deal.
0: You've been listening to the Rev Thinking Podcast. For more information on upcoming accelerators, events, or to learn how RevThink advises creative entrepreneurs like you, connect with us at RevThink.com.